Can you believe it? One year? One year. You we've, guys, one year. We have been at this for a year now, which <laughs> which is cool. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> this has been life-changing for Absolutely. me. I mean, I never in my wildest dreams saw me being a part of something like this, let alone Same. how many thousands of people are listening to us every week. I mean, it blows my mind. Mine too. And you guys, we would not be here without you guys without and all your support. Each and, and every one of you. You're listening to us. And this is officially the Blood and Wine like one year anniversary week. And yeah. I feel like this has come quickly. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like it's already been a year, but then you look and it's like, oh, this is episode 53. It's been, I, yeah. it's been a year. It's been a year. Um, But y'all, this is just... One of those things that I didn't really know it was a dream until we started really doing it. And I'm like, I love this. Same. And yeah. So, wow. This episode is going to be um, an amazing one. Like, like all of them. Because, uh, yeah, you know, because we're amazing. No. Um, <laughs> I think that you can definitely tell ways we've improved throughout the last year. Um, you guys, we love it when you give us cases and ideas. And mm-hmm. we have... Um, we have a special wine this week. Yes, we do. We really like it when you send us wine recommendations. And it just really makes you guys feel a part of this Blood and Wine family that we've been creating. We just love having this big family. Um, oh, so absolutely. Thank you for being a part of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with that, we, like I said, we have some really exciting things planned for this episode. And along the same lines, if you've been a listener for a while, want to let you guys know about Patreon. There are additional episodes that we call our murder minis. Mm-hmm. And those range from 20 minutes, sometimes nearly two hours. It's the word mini has now become really flexible. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but also, depending on what tier you get in, we'll write you a handwritten note. We've got the original, the OG logo stickers that you mm-hmm. can only get through Patreon. And we still have a few of those. So Keep signing up and you'll get a sticker. But one of the most exciting parts is in our top tier, our Cabernet Sauvignon Convicts, you actually get to direct an episode. Yeah, you get to let us know a case or a topic that you've always wanted to hear about, something that's really interesting to you, and we will make that an episode. And if there's a specific crime you would love to hear, tell us that. Oh, yeah. And we can find a way to turn that into a topic. Or if you have a topic with a specific crime in mind, tell us that. You guys, seriously, we're like so Absolutely. open to this. And as our Patreon supporters, we have this back and forth conversation and dialogue. But I want to welcome our two newest Cabernet Sauvignon convicts, Vicky and Courtney. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yes. And And we will reach out to you to ask about topic ideas. So start thinking. You'll get that message from us soon. You actually may have already gotten it at this point by the time you Uh, hear this. Yeah, probably already got it at this point. (laughs) But again, this is a way to become even more involved in the Blood and Wine family. We also have merch on our merch store that you can get through our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com forward slash store. 
I yeah, think. I'm pretty sure. There's also a button that says store at the top. Right. And um, there's both logos on there. There's actually the modified version of the new logo as well. If you mm-hmm. don't, you know, maybe for some of the guys out there, if you don't want the f- flowers, which I don't know why you wouldn't. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Um, also, um, real quick, just one side note is uh, we've never called y'all the Blood and Wine family before. And it feels a little culty. And I'm maybe okay with that. So, let us know if you want to join our cult. Um, You know. Be a part of the Blood and Wine family forever. Also, quick note that y'all should absolutely subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. SoundCloud is our main host. Podbean, my favorite one. (laughs) Google Play as well. Yeah. Yeah, we're on Google Play. Yeah, still not on Pandora, but everything else. Yeah. We're on. So, okay. I know last week we talked a little bit about the extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile that just came out to Netflix. So, at this point, when y'all are hearing this, it's been out for about 10 days. And we've been having a conversation with a few of y'all on our social about what you thought of it. And I just want to give my honest, like, super quick review because I know I literally talked about this last week. But it's okay. I I think Mm. one thing I had to keep in mind when I was watching it is that... This was through the perspective of Liz, his girlfriend of the time, and how this affected her. And so we see a lot of her story and less of, you know, him him murdering or any yeah. of that. It, it's more of how she thought he was this great guy and she fell victim to him in, in a different way than his other victims. But in this just very emotional, she thought he was the one kind of way and how it very much destroys her. And she's finally able to, you know, let go of it. Mm-hmm. But... It was good. It was a little slow at times. I felt... And it's a series or it's a movie? It's a movie. Okay. It's just a movie. It's like almost two hours. And Zac Efron played Bundy really well. But, you know, I read some reviews that he made sure, like, he didn't do any method acting. Like, he did not get deep into this character. Which, Fair. number one, totally understand that. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it either. Yeah. But you can tell Mm. because there is this level of disconnect where I feel like he could have been creepier and Mm -hmm. he wasn't. And there were opportunities where he could have been a little bit more Bundy-esque and super creepy. But I will say, if you haven't watched it, watch it. And when you're done with that, you've got to check out Dead to Me. It's the new show on Netflix, a Netflix original, and it has Christina Applegate. And it's so good. You guys, I binged the first season in a day. Fair. It's so good. And it also has James Marsden, which I am like in love with him and his jawline. Like, oh my God. Oh, same. Everything about him. I mean, he was in Westworld. He was in... I know him um, from like... (laughs) 27 Dresses. He was in 27 (laughs) Dresses. I know him mostly from like the original X-Men stuff from like 2000, 2002. Oh, yeah. Because um, he was Cyclops. I forgot that completely. Mm-hmm. I love him. I feel like he's, he's underrated. He's people that does not age. No, I know. He just keeps getting better and better looking. It's like uh, I see him. It's the Paul Rudd effect. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, though. Because like 10 years in Paul Rudd time is six months. 100%. 100%. that man still looks just as amazing as he did in Clueless. Actually, he looks better now. He looks now. better. Well, on that note, I want to jump into this episode's topic. Yes. Which is one that... I know my case is very interesting. Oh, mine's and this, messed up. This definitely lent itself to very, I don't know, interesting. Fucked up, interesting cases. Dark AF. Yeah. So the topic is 
fetish murders, also known as lust murders. So going into like what is a fetish murder or a lust murder, it's a homicide where the offender searches for erotic satisfaction by killing someone. So basically they just get off by murder. Yeah. And most of the time, this murder is manifested either by murder during sexual activity. So like while having sex, murdering them. Yeah. By mutilating the sexual organs or areas on a victim's body. Or by murder and mutilation. So those two combined. There's a lot of variations of it, for sure. Yeah. And the mutilation usually involves maybe evisceration or cutting off people's sexual organs or both. And thankfully, the mutilation, when it happens, usually does take place post-mortem. Right. Which is the better to the alternative. And although during the killing, it may include an act of sexual intercourse, that doesn't always occur. And sometimes other sexual acts may be part of the murder. But lust murder in this is just one type of fetish murders. So... I expanded on mine and didn't just go into a lust murder, uh, but more focusing on kind of that fetish piece. Well, and fetish is, as you know, mostly sexual. Yeah. Maybe all the time sexual, but... Kinky murders. But there's also murders who have some type of obsession, which I think can tie its way into this topic a bit. Well, and because of that, we're going to actually do this entire episode in um, Sexy Voices. Yes. It was August 3rd, 1945, when Pamela Duvalle walked down in her clickety-clackety high heel. I don't know. (laughs) Clickety-clackety. Yes. You know, like all porn books. (laughs) Clickety-clackety. Is she a horse? (laughs) (laughs) Damn, Pam. Oh my god, that's the title of the book. Damn, Pam. (laughs) Perfect. Publishing it will make millions. Uh Uh-huh, trademarking that right here, right now. That's our topic. Now I want to get into this wine and let you guys know why this is special. This wine is one of the most special wines we have ever done. It is. And also, this bottle is gorgeous. Like, It's not rounded. It's more square. You'll see in the photo that we'll post on Wednesday. I love the angles. It's like a cylinder. Well, I mean, I guess all wine bottles are. (laughs) But it's like, I don't know. It's like the Kings of Prohibition, but like elongated. Yeah. And okay, not that's, short. I, yeah, that is a better comparison than the one I was thinking in that it looks like a rock tumbler. It kind of does. Like, you know, just imagine <laughs> it spinning on its side, polish and shit, but oh. it's wine. Anyways. Yeah. Well, what makes this wine so special is it was actually sent to us by a listener, Courtney, the listener I mentioned earlier, that's a new Patreon member. Yeah. She sent this to us and said it is her absolute favorite wine and Mm -hmm. that she is newer as a red wine drinker and that this one is her absolute favorite and that actually listening to our podcast has helped her branch out start drinking more red wine by the way you guys when you tell us that i love it i love when y'all message us or comment on things and let us know that we've helped you try some different wines and that's what we're trying to do as well Mm -hmm. a lot of this was us being like hey let's explore different wines and not just drink the same ones all the time yeah so this is the vintage 2017 tall dark stranger malbec 
Which, literally, the name of this wine fits so well with our podcast. Oh, 100%. actually about some of the creepy shit we're about to talk about. And it describes me so well, because I am both tall, dark, and a stranger. <laughs> I'm none of those things. I'm, sh- I'm a short, pale acquaintance. Oh my god, it's the white wine version. That's Trademarked. Their, that's their um, Pinot Grigio. <laughs> so... This wine is from Mendoza, Argentina, um, which, I mean, a lot of Malbecs are from Argentina, and they're freaking delicious. It was handcrafted in limited production. It's dark, juicy, smooth, and silky, which I think Mm. is four of the best word combinations for wine ever. And it sounds like a fetish. It does. Um, It's an intense red wine with bright berry flavors and a soft, lush texture, and it pairs really well with paella, grilled meats, mm. some hearty stews, oh and God. lamb dishes. We don't eat enough paella here in the States. No, we don't. That is like my number one complaint about America on a global scale, is we need That's... more paella. Well, um, I'm looking at the back, seeing if it has any any other... It's very rich, deeply satisfying, and it's a Malbec that never disappoints. And I think it's the only wine that this winery makes... I don't know. Their website is literally talldarkwines.com, but the Tall Dark Stranger was the only wine on their website. Hmm. So there's also a map on the website. You can jot in your zip code and find where it's sold near you. Be sure and check that out because, guys, I guarantee we haven't even tried it yet, and I know I'm going to love this wine. I'm so excited. Also, the aesthetics of the bottle and the label, I'm so into. Any, like, black and gold kind of thing that gives me, like, Art Deco-y vibes, I'm all about. Oh, 100%. So like Ty was saying, the label is this matte black with gold lettering and tall dark is in this like really pretty scripty font and then stranger is in like a nice stacked block letter mm-hmm. with like little designs and all the um letters and it's just it's very classy very mm-hmm. simple very beautiful but i'm done talking about this wine i want to drink this yeah. wine now i will say side note i've been called ty like eight or nine times this week does it feel weird to you well, you've always called me Ty. Well, I've always like, called you Ty Man. I just well, yeah, you know, but also wasn't doing Ty. It here. Um, but yeah, uh, two of my friends at work, three of my friends at work actually have started calling me Ty, and I'm like, I, I have no opinion on it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, but I'm just like, it's all of a sudden. Well, and this is actually really funny because this week at work, we had the whole conversation of my coworkers being like, can I call you Brit? And I'm like, actually, yeah, most people do. More people in my life call me B, BK, Brit. Rarely people use my name. BB bitches. Yeah. Yeah. Rarely do people use my full name and call me Brittany. You do. You do. (laughs) I always Um, have. You always have. My best friend always has. But when it comes to, I think there's something about having the name Brittany a lot of the times people will automatically shorten it. And thankfully, I'm one of the people that doesn't mind having like a quick nickname given Mm -hmm. to me. That bothers a lot of people. So it doesn't bug me, but people have been asking like, is it okay if I call you? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Just call me something, some form of my name. But so now I'm going to be Brit. Also, listeners, if y'all want to call me Brit, it's fine. It's literally what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like am. it. And I, I like Ty. Uh, it's better than my nickname I had in middle school and high school, which was Pizza Face. So I, I had such a great time in middle school, y'all. Definitely like this early bloomer was very attractive as a 13-year-old. Didn't have the 
braces and the worst acne you've ever seen in your entire life no not me i went through the same thing i had really bad acne braces and glasses and i didn't same. know how to do my hair same i didn't <laughs> but i didn't learn how to do my hair until i was like like a week ago 20 i'm just kidding no you really did learn later because Although i I, I got buzz cuts i know from the age of birth i probably was born with a buzz cut <laughs> the age um, of birth Oh, that didn't pop. I pulled it all the way out oh, of the is. bottle. I didn't learn how to do it well until like t- 24. Yeah. Because I, I actually would just flat iron the shit out of my hair and be like, look. So this is a really beautiful ruby color. Ooh, that smells really good. It oh. does. It oh. definitely it gives me like. It's like I can smell how smooth it's going to taste. Yes. I'm like getting like Isn't crushed that... velvet vibes and I'm like, mm, from a smell, that's weird. Yeah. But like that's, I'm like, ooh, this going to be smooth. Oh, hey, you guys, I don't think we told you this. Oh, yeah. We're, we're in, in person, person right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last like, I don't know, five or six episodes, you know, have been recorded since Brittany moved to Dallas. Yeah. And so we've been separate. She's actually in town this weekend and we're recording at my apartment. Yeah. So we're here. You know how the, I remembered we hadn't said it because we're going to get to cheers for real again and not yes. sound like losers cheersing alone. <laughs> I know. Basically, it would almost be better if we were just like, <laughs> we're not going to do that though. That's really no. stupid. Okay. Ready to cheers? We're not like moms at brunch. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Cheers. cheers. This is smooth. That Yeah. God, that is smooth. Wow. Uh. This is a really good Malbec. Yes. And I'm not, I have nothing against Malbecs. They're just never something that I would gravitate I towards. I don't think but about them a lot. Yeah. This is a great, I can I definitely like this. see this is like the perfect introductory red wine for someone who's like, you know, wants to try red wines, yeah. generally goes for lighter whites. This one's great. Because I feel like normally when you start drinking Ooh. reds, you start with like a Pinot Noir, which. Right. I mean, Pinot Noirs are fine. They're not my favorite. They're and not so my I feel like that either. could, you know, if you want to try reds, your first is a Pinot Noir. You don't like it. You're like, oh, I don't like reds. This um, is a great one because it's very deep in flavor. It has it's a lot smooth. of different flavors. The tannins aren't too strong. Like, I'm no. not feeling a bite or But anything. it's not so, like, it's not fruit fruity quartered. and, no. like, velvety like a Merlot. No. It's, it's definitely got more smooth. structure. It's silky. It's, it's, it's silky, silky rather than velvety like a Merlot. Literally, like I said, dark, juicy, smooth, and silky. I will say... Oh, I you think, did say silky. I think juicy would be the one word I, I would not use to describe this yeah, wine, Yeah, I wouldn't call be it honest, juicy. Because I'm not getting a ton of that fruit. It's more of an earthy flavor. Mm-hmm. So, Courtney, I absolutely see why you love this wine. Thank you so, so much for sharing this with us. Absolutely. And um, I... Did find out, I think there is a place in Dallas that I can get this. Nice. So, which is really good because I wasn't able to find it in Austin. So I'm really excited. Uh, this is going to be one that I would also like to share with people. So Courtney, Absolutely. I'm going to, you know, keep that in my back pocket and kind of just copy you and do exactly what I you're know. doing. I love this. This is a I great, also... like, having friends over. Ooh, let's open a bottle of wine. Ooh, this one... <clears throat> Yeah, I'm that fancy bitch. Yeah, this is Tall Dark Stranger. Also, so you guys, one thing that Courtney does that I think is phenomenal, she found this wine, she loves it, said it's a staple that she has at home, but she always keeps a bottle on hand to share it with someone else. And Mm -hmm. I just love that 
spirit of giving and and being like, you know, this was a wine that was really good to me. It was a great introduction. Hey, I would love for you to try it and have that same experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if the person ends up not liking it, although I don't understand how they could not. Yeah. I just love that sentiment. I want to find a bottle like that and just, Mm -hmm. although a bottle of wine surviving in my apartment with me not drinking it, I don't really know if that would be successful. And that's why you would get like 14 and you'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) Susan, you're here visiting. I have one left. You know, all our friends named of, Susan. Grab it out of the box in my closet. Yeah. So this wine is phenomenal. I'm excited to drink this as we talk about our fetish murders. So, um, Ty, I believe you go first this week. So what did you pick? What fetish are you going to focus on? So my fetish murder is the murder of Brittany Kilgore. Ooh. Oh, you picked someone with named Brittany. I did. I didn't think about it until I was like in the case and I was like, hmm. That's Brittany's name, but really, Brittany it Kilgore. took you the middle of the case to realize that my name's Brittany and that I shared that name with. <laughs> yeah, with I Victor. actually didn't know your name for the longest time. Even that's why you in the beginning of our episodes, name. that yeah, well, that's why in the beginning of episodes we have to introduce ourselves because I'm like, who the hell is this? Also, did we do that for this episode? I, I mean, we no. I'm Brittany. I'm Tyler. <laughs> this is Blood and Wine, but you know that because we talked about that at the very beginning. But it's hey. true. Um, anyway, so yes, Brittany Kilgore. And the source I used um, was one source, really. Oh, and nice. it was Jim Fisher's True Crime blog. And it's a great blog. It has a bunch of different true crime stories and blog posts and resources. It's amazing. And that is where I found this case. So after two years of marriage to Lance Corporal Corey Kilgore, 22-year-old Brittany Kilgore. Wait, how long have they been married? Two years. Okay, so, so they she, got married young. Yeah, and it's their uh, military family, so I feel like a lot of military families get married young. Yeah, yeah. But they'd been married for two years, but on April 11th of 2012, they filed for divorce. Um, he was serving in Afghanistan, and Brittany lived in Fallbrook, California, which is a town near San Diego, near Camp Pendleton, which is the U.S. Marine Base on the West Coast, there in California. So at about 2 in the afternoon on Saturday, April 14th of 2012, 100 years to the date after the sinking of the Titanic. Coincidence? Yes. (laughs) Uh, One of Brittany's friends. Yes. I just had to throw that in there. Yeah. Have we talked about your slash my Titanic obsession? Uh, I don't know if we have. I feel like we may have mentioned it, but also, guys, we're super obsessed with the Titanic. And that was one of your first natural disaster obsessions yeah so anyway Brittany Kilgore so at about two in the afternoon on April 14th three days after she filed for divorce one of her friends called the San Diego County Sheriff's Office to report her missing the friend had last seen Kilgore at 7 p.m the day before when she'd stopped by this friend's apartment to borrow a dress she was gonna go on a date with this 45 year old marine staff sergeant named Luis ray perez and he was gonna be picking her up in like an hour she was like i need a dress for this date yeah so they were gonna go on a date downtown san diego that was the last time her friend saw her so at 7 45 that friday evening about 45 minutes after She had seen Kilgore. The friend received a text from Kilgore's phone that just read, help. Oh my god. Oh, shit. Yeah. So her friend texted back, what? Are you okay? And when Brittany didn't respond, her friend replied, Brittany, are you okay? I'm freaking out here. 
At 8.05, the friend received another message from Kilgore's phone that read, Yes, I love this party. And the friend considered this text very suspicious because Kilgore always used the word yeah instead of yes when she texted. Right. She would have said, yeah, I love this party. The friend is like, this is not her. Yeah. And that was the last that she would ever hear from Kilgore. Honestly, it sounds like the help was the last time, last thing she heard from her. Because I don't think this is her. I definitely do not. So a detective with the San Diego Sheriff's Office called Sergeant Luis Perez um, and asked if he'd come in for questioning regarding Kilgore's missing persons case. He was the last person to be seen with her. You know, like she went on a date with him. That was the last thing anyone knew. Yeah. So he called him in. And Perez said that he would, and he showed up at the sheriff's office uh, pretty soon after the call. And according to him, he'd gone to Kilgore's apartment at 4 o'clock on Friday to help her pack for her upcoming move to another place. And he'd asked her if she'd like to go out on a dinner dance boat that evening in downtown San Diego. Oh, shit, that sounds fun. I know. She declined, saying that she was tired. But soon after Perez left her apartment at around 5 p.m., she sent him a text saying that she'd changed her mind and he'd returned to her place at about 7.30 for the date. This sucks because this sounds like so cute, you know? Yeah. And I know it's not. I know. It sounds very meat cute kind of thing. It does. Um, and so he picked her up at about 7.30 and her friend received that text at 7.45. 15 minutes later? 15 minutes later. So, according to his statement, he dropped Brittany off in downtown San Diego in front of a club that was called Whiskey Girl Night uh, while he looked for a place to park. About 15 minutes later, he's parked, he walks over, he gets back to the club, and he can't find her. He looked around for about 30 minutes, and then he headed home to a house that he shared in Fallbrook with his girlfriend, 36-year-old Dorothy Grace Marie Maraglino. And her that friend is a mouthful of a name. Yeah, and her friend Jessica Lynn Lopez, who was twenty five. So he couldn't find her. Figures she bailed or something, well, and yeah. goes back home um, to his girlfriend and her, her friend, so roommate. And this sounds very plausible because if she was hesitant already about going out. If it's yeah. taken a while to find a parking spot, maybe she was like, actually, she's like, you know I'm what? No, done. I'm not feeling this. So, and which, I mean, it would be a dick move not to text him, but... People do that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. We all have the emergency out when we go on dates. Where you're like, hey, um, if I send you a text message, you're going to call me and pretend to be something happening. Exactly. Being like, oh my god, I'm your neighbor, your apartment's flooding. Gotta go, bye. But the deputy that interviewed Perez that afternoon asked if he could take a look inside... Perez's white Ford Explorer that he'd driven to the sheriff's office. And Perez said he had no problem with that. So, again, all of this so far, the only thing to me that's pointing to Perez is that he was the last person seen with her. Yeah. But his story, I'm like, Like yeah. I said, it sounds legit. Yeah. And even if, you know, we are looking at worst case scenario kind of things, did she leave the club and, like, get kidnapped? Um, so I, th- I think at this point... It was a lot more, I don't want to say formalities, because they did have a reason they're interviewing him and stuff. But I think at this point, I wouldn't even necessarily say he's like a person of interest. Because they're just, you know, following up on what leads they do have. 
And so when they get to the car, the first thing the detective noticed was fresh mud that was caked on the underside of the vehicle and in the wheel wells. And Perez's shoes were also muddy, but Perez told the officer that the car had gotten that way when he'd recently gone to collect firewood near Camp Pendleton. The deputy then took a plastic bag from inside the car that contained a pair of blue latex gloves, which appeared to have blood on them. And they did a luminol test that confirmed it was blood. Oh. And DNA analysis would later identify it as Brittany Kilgore's blood Shit. on and these those, gloves. Those gloves were just like in the floorboard? In a plastic bag, like just in the car. Wow. Yum. Makes me think either he was shoved in a corner and had to be like, yeah, sure, go look. Or that he forgot they were there. Yeah. Like out in the open. Yeah. Um, Perez also possessed a stun gun that had a human hair follicle that was attached to it. And now at this point in the investigation, Sergeant Perez became a suspect in her disappearance and possible murder. Absolutely. The deputy, after recovering a stolen AR-15 assault rifle from his Ford Explorer. Oh my god. So yeah, he has a stun gun, bloodstained gloves, a stolen assault rifle, like... I mean, Looking kind of suspicious, bro. Yeah. I, I feel like it would have been smarter to be like, uh, you can get a warrant kind of thing. Which yes. is what I would have done. Which is one of those things that doesn't necessarily make you look guilty. It's no. you know your rights. Yeah. So, I mean, don't murder people, but... Or Obviously, be involved in murders. But like, yeah. you know, ask for a warrant. I think that's just good practice in general agreed like i know if right now the police knocked on my door to enter i would ask for a warrant yeah i'd be like the hell do you want well it's like not even with any negative intentions it's like well if you feel the need to search my property you need to have a reason to see a warrant you need to have a legitimate reason and that's why the law is there Mm -hmm. i mean it's at least there to attempt to protect people from things So, follow it. A hundred percent. Don't murder people first, but also, you know, know your rights. Yeah. So, the deputy recovers the gun and arrests Perez on a charge of theft. Because that's what they can hold him on right now. Because they know the gun's stolen. He has it. Cool. He's a person of interest and now the prime suspect in her disappearance and murder. But they don't really have enough to arrest him for that. Right. But they can arrest him for the theft. Absolutely, because they know it's there. So he was taken to jail where he was incarcerated under a $500,000 bond. So from Perez's cell phone, investigators were able to collect messages sent from his phone to Kilgore's. The first message that was sent at about 9.20 p.m. on Friday, so an hour and a half or so after she had texted help to a friend... So the first message that was sent at 9.20 p.m. on Friday, about two hours after she had sent the The help help message to her friend, uh, he texted her, your friends are calling me worried. And later that evening, Perez also texted, now I am worried too. So he's making it look like, like, I'm saying if he did do something, he's playing that part of like the worried, like, yeah. hey, I know you left or of whatever. Like, hey, like, your friends you are reaching out to me. I assumed you just peaced out from the club. What's going on? She's not answering kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And at this point, you know, when he sent that 
now I'm worried too text. This is what investigators believe to be after her death, after she had already been killed. So when the San Diego detectives started questioning his housemate and girlfriend, Dorothy Maraglino, she said that Perez had returned home Friday night sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight. Oh. And that he'd remained at the house until he left for San Diego the next day to meet at the sheriff, at the sheriff's office after he right. got the call. So, you know, the the timeline here so far is he basically, like, loses sight of her at around 8. Gets home between 10 and midnight. So there's two hours there. Where it's like, where, where were like, you, where, dude? Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know what traffic's like in San Diego, but let's say an hour. What that else were an you hour. doing? Yeah. Like, were you standing around waiting her for her for an hour? Maybe. That's a long time to me, but there's some timing here. Also, that's saying if it was 10. If it was midnight, okay, that's like four hours. Like, what was right. that? Like, there really is too much time in between there, and it's like, what were you doing? Yeah. And I, I will say, I feel like a lot of people will, like, if you give a time range like that, would be like, how do you not know when he came home? Honestly, between 10 and to me, I'm like, that's fair. I don't know. If you ask me what time I, well, if you ask me what time I got home last night, I honestly have no idea because <laughs> I went to a happy hour and did it hard. Uh, but I'm like, I don't know, midnight? I don't know. Well, but the thing between is. Between 10 and midnight. For me, I feel like if it was, I mean, if alcohol wasn't involved, mm-hmm. I would know the difference of getting home at 10 and getting home at midnight because 10 to me is getting home kind of early. Like, that's when some people are going out. Yeah. Midnight is like, whoop, I had a full night, good to go, going home. It's technically the next day. I mean, that's fair. Again, it all depends on what you're doing, but for the most part, I feel like you should know, but maybe that's because I pay more attention to these type of things. See, for me, if it's something that's not routine, like not getting home from work or something that usually happens around the same time, I mean, I think a two-hour range is fine. Like, that to me, that wouldn't... I wouldn't be suspicious of, like, between 10 and midnight? Which well, which it? one? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, April 15th of 2012, the next day... Yeah. San Diego deputies searched the Perez Maraglino Lopez house in Fallbrook, where they suspected that that was where Brittany Kilgore had been murdered. Oh. The searchers discovered that one of the rooms had been set up as a sex dungeon and was equipped with a variety of sex apparatuses, toys, and tools, such as, you know, handcuffs, whips, leather restraints, chain shackles, like... Damn. So this is like... Vanilla stuff. Child's play. This is like their... Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Not child's play. They're, um, uh, the the 50 Shades. Is that, is that what that's, the red room is? Yeah. Yeah. It's the red room from 50 Shades. Yeah. Which, I mean, I've never been in a red room or seen Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, but all this makes me think of is Beyonce. Got me like so crazy right now. Oh, yeah, that's a great from the trailer. Of that song. And then I feel I like in the trailer, that's when it, like, it when the trailer shifts and she's, like, biting on a leather strap and blindfolded. It's like, I feel like that's... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, I've terrible seen... movie, but, you know, hey. Yeah, I have. Um, I am all for taking your own sexuality, doing what you want. As long as you have consent, be into being 
whipped and leather restraints and shackles. If if y'all have consent, you're grown ass adults. Yep. You do consent it. Consent with a capital C. Um my problems with the books and movies is that there is a definite lack of consent in a lot of it. Um and I think it is an unhealthy portrayal of BDSM relationships. Agreed. So I don't like it, but I am all for BDSM lifestyle. Not my thing, but I look at it as like, I hate Almond Joy. That's not for me. (laughs) Someone loves Almond Joy. I'm not going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Coconut and almonds? What is wrong with you? I'm going to be like, okay, cool. Have fun with your Almond Joy. I'm going to go have a Twix. Yeah, because, you know, Almond Joys and Whips, Chains, Handcuffs, same thing. Exactly. (laughs) It is exactly the same thing. So they've got a sex dungeon. Yeah, they have a sex dungeon with, I don't know, basic stuff. And when asked about their playroom, Dorothy and Jessica explain that they... I don't like it called playroom. I don't either. So... When they're asked about it, Dorothy and Jessica explain that they're part of an erotic master-servant and master-slave kind of role-playing, and Dorothy was the dominatrix, and that Luis Perez enjoyed spanking women. So, back to Brittany Kilgore. Her missing person slash murder investigation took an even more bizarre turn on April 16th, when investigators learned that Master Dorothy and her slave Jessica had checked into a Ramada Inn that was in the Point Loma section of San Diego. And I don't like this. They showed up to room 105 at 9.30 that morning, and Lopez, on the other side of the door in a drowsy voice, told the officers that she's too exhausted to come to the door and let them in. So she's, she's not coming to the door. She's exhausted. When a deputy cracked the door open as far as the interior, the chain lock would allow, um, the officer saw blood on the floor. And so after that, another officer kicked the door open and police stormed the motel room. Absolutely. Yeah. They found Jessica Lopez naked from the waist up and covered in blood from self-inflicted knife wounds to the neck and wrists. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Um, at this point, Dorothy was not at the motel. It was just Jessica. And a message in lipstick was scrawled on the mirror above the dressing table. And it said, pigs read this. And below was a seven page handwritten murder confession that she'd signed. So she Dorothy was planning did that? Jessica. Wait, Jessica. Dorothy's did... bounced. Dorothy's, Dorothy's nowhere bounced. to be seen. Jessica's the one that was laying on the bed saying she's too exhausted. Yeah. Because and she when they come like, in, you know, she's bleeding, bleeding to death. And has her suicide note murder confession right there. So her plan was to be dead by the time people found this. Murder confession of Brittany's murder? Yeah. So in this confession, Lopez admitted to using a ligature in the sex dungeon at the house to strangle Brittany Kilgore to death. She killed her out of fear that Luis Perez would be seduced by her. And after half-hearted attempts to dismember Kilgore's body... Oh, God. Lopez just doused her in bleach to destroy any physical evidence. Does that actually destroy it? Yeah. Most... Bleach kind of destroys everything. Yeah. I think any fingerprints, oils... I think some DNA can survive in bleach. I don't know. I know, like, DNA exposed directly to bleach will be 
broken down because of how basic Bleach is. Almost as basic as Me in the Fall with a PSL. So this is also a jealousy murder. Yeah. Which, or at least, that's what Jessica Lopez is saying. That's what she's saying. Mm -hmm. So she wrote in her suicide note that she hid the body of that whore in almost plain sight near Lake Skinner and noted that police would find handcuff marks on Brittany's wrist. And Lopez said that she deposited the knife that she'd used in her attempts to chop her up in a beach restroom in Oceanside. And that police would find a pair of handcuffs along with the knife if they looked there. Yeah. And in her statement slash suicide note, she said that she was taking full responsibility for Kilgore's murder. She's like... I did it. She's like, I did it. Well, and also, here's the location of all of the things, Mm -hmm. and go find it. I do not believe that she did it solo. That, to me... Seems like a lot to do solo. Especially for a 25-year-old woman. Oh, that's right. I forget. She was the younger of the two. And granted, Brittany's only 22, so she's also young. This, to me, seems like a lot for one person. I Especially agree. 100%. with um, Perez's truck being like muddy. Okay, now we know the body was dumped at a faraway lake. So at 2.30 that afternoon, searchers located Kilgore's naked body lying in the brush along the side of a road near Lake Skinner. Oh, um, God. A little over 20 miles north of Fallbrook. The police arrested Jessica Lopez on April 17th on the charge of first degree murder. Luis Perez, who was already in custody for the gun theft case, right. which was also charged with first-degree murder. And Dorothy was charged with first-degree murder and taken into custody on May 10th. All three of them were held on a $3 million bond, and they all pleaded not guilty, even though Jessica confessed to everything. To doing still it. Still pleading and not still guilty. still pleading not guilty, which, okay. Yeah. At the preliminary hearing um, that began on March 11th, 2013, so about 11 months after all of this, the victim's best friend, Elizabeth Hernandez, testified that she and Kilgore became acquainted with Marine Sergeant Luis Perez, Jessica Lopez, and Dorothy Maraglino in 2011, after she had responded to an ad selling a fertility monitor on a website for military families. Okay. So Hernandez said that she befriended Maraglino because the two of them were both trying to get pregnant. And they bonded over that. And after that, Brittany Kilgore regularly visited the house where Maraglino lived with Lopez. She then testified that Perez, Lopez, and Maraglino openly discussed their sexual lifestyle that involved Perez as their master, Maraglino as the mistress, and Lopez as the slave. And she also mentioned that she and Kilgore made it clear that they're not going to participate in sex games. Then, in 2012, the year of her murder, Elizabeth and Brittany had a falling out. At that time, Brittany was preparing to divorce her husband, and Hernandez testified that she discussed their soured friendship with Luis Perez, Lopez, and Maraglino. And after that, Lopez and Maraglino began referring to Kilgore as the disease and herpes. Oh my god! And according to Hernandez, Perez and Maraglino said they could get rid of Kilgore, but they wouldn't because they knew that Hernandez would miss her. So like, we could kill your friend, but you're gonna miss her, so we won't. 
And Hernandez said that she thought they were joking. She's like, oh, okay, you know, I'm in a fight with my friend. And they're like, oh, we can get rid of her for you. Like, haha, little friends joking. Not, little, not something I would joke about. A, a little, yeah. Like, that's a heavy joke? I'm thinking no. Yeah. So that was her testimony during the trial. Yeah. And then in the preliminary trial on March 14th of 2013, the deputy medical examiner testified that Brittany had been strangled with some kind of ligature and that her body had been moved to where it was found near the lake. Right. Which that coincides with what the letter said. Yeah. The forensic pathologist said there were two marks on her neck and tiny hemorrhages in her eyes that indicated strangulation as the cause of death. And the medical examiner had also discovered cuts on her left wrist and left knee that suggested someone had tried to dismember the body. And the cut on the left leg was so deep that it reached the bone. So they got to the bone and they stopped, basically. And the bone contained tool marks that indicated a saw had been used to try to dismember her. Oh my god. And that all of this had occurred post-mortem. So the next person to testify on the stand was a woman who had lived in the Maraglino house for three months in late 2010. And according to her, she'd been Maraglino's sex slave for a time and knew that Maraglino and Luis Perez enjoyed choking their sex partners. So things are now pointing. But it's still like, is this straight up murder? Is this sex games went too far and someone died and they got scared? Might be manslaughter? Like what? Like what is this? Yeah. Was there... Was was killing the motive? Yeah. Or was it something that happened because of what they were doing? Yeah. On March 16th, the Superior Court judge ruled that the prosecution in the Kilgore case had presented enough evidence to justify a murder trial. Well, the dismemberment, though. Like, yeah. that, I feel like, like that... is a big part of, yes, this being murder, not manslaughter. Yeah. Because well, I... and this is also, like, the fucking... Robert Durst shit where he killed the guy in Galveston and he, you know, was saying it was an accident, it was an accident and he dismembered him and the way he got off because his lawyers were like some of the, you know, best paid in the nation was like, this trial is not about what happened to the body after the murder. This trial is about the murder and if that was a murder or an accidental or self-defense or what the fuck ever. And I was super pissed, but also like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That was brilliant in a super mm-hmm. dark, twisted way. But, I mean, but yeah. But the, the But then dismembering part, it. I know. And I also especially with what she put in her letter and stuff, I'm like, mm, this sounds more murdery than an accident during a That sex letter game. is a huge piece of evidence. Yeah. So the trial was originally set to begin in twenty fourteen, but there were a bunch of delays. Dorothy Originally wanted to represent herself, and then wanted to get a lawyer, and then fired that lawyer, and then got a public defender, and the public defender was like, I'm not doing this shit, and was like, I'm out. She got a fourth lawyer. Like, and Why do people think it's a good idea to represent themselves? I don't know. We talked about this, uh, what, last episode? Did we? Workplace homicides episode. Yeah, I don't get it. We did. 
I no. Like, why I would someone who's just, not a lawyer think they have enough knowledge no, to do that? You're not gonna go to a hospital and be like, um, I'm gonna take my own appendix out. Like, no. I like totally understand like the concept, so I'm gonna do it. And then the doctor who went to school for years and has been doing this as a job for years, I don't think they're gonna be like, okay, bye. No, you're you're gonna go to a hospital and be like a doctor, get this shit out of me, and you're gonna get a lawyer who went to school for this, passed the bar, knows what they're doing. Yeah. Side note, and very quick side note. Um, so you know how recently Kim Kardashian announced that she was like going to law school. Well, going to law school, like interning with a lawyer, and she wanted to be a criminal lawyer. Yeah. I saw so many people be like, what a stupid slut. Like, what is wrong with her? And I'm like, okay, first off, fuck you. Anyone bettering themselves and furthering themselves, that's awesome. Second off, her father was literally one of the most famous criminal justice attorneys in the world. Yeah. um, And was really good attorney. So she's lawyers and stuff. That's been something that she grew up with. Right. And she's known that, or, like, she's known that world and been a part of that world. And so I'm like, fuck yeah. Well, and I feel like... Pass the bar. Exactly. Like, do the work, pass the bar. Like, I, I feel like people look at her as someone who, I mean, she's gorgeous, and she likes to showcase that. She takes a lot yeah. of selfies. She has a lot of portraits done. And I think people look at that and think she's stupid. And I'm like, mm-hmm. none of that says anything about her brain. I don't know her. I don't know her brain. But I'm like, let her take some fucking selfies if she wants to. Yeah. She's a millionaire. She can literally do whatever she wants. So if she wants to go to law school, great. Yeah. Like, well, also, she's... this is very... Sorry, one more thing. Yeah. This is very legally blonde. Yeah. Yes. This and, is like real is, life Elle Woods. Yes. And Elle Woods was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And she was a fantastic lawyer. I mean, in the movie, obviously. That's yeah. what it was. But she was someone that was seen as like, oh, this is ridiculous. You're going to go to law school. And she's like... Fuck yeah, and I'm gonna go to Harvard. So, yeah. bye. I will say a uh, couple things. First off, Kim K, do what you do. She's like, beautiful. get it. Yeah, I don't get It's just sexist shit. People are like, a woman can't be pretty and smart. And also, people, I'm like, well, what, what what's your threshold of smart? Do you want her to sit there and explain, like, nuclear fission to you? Why? Why does she have to prove anything to you? You don't fucking know her. You're not her mom. Also, no You're not one, her business partner. No one has to prove anything to anyone. No. And I, I want that to be something, like, take that to heart. Because literally, you owe no mm-hmm. one an explanation. You don't owe anyone anything. No. Like, well, and also, she's talked about how she's very passionate about criminal justice reform. And how has. she sees issues and wants to be a part of it and do something. And I'm like, fuck, yes. Do it. More people need to be out there doing that, to be honest. Absolutely. And she has such a following, and and she has so much influence. Oh, yeah. That, why not? Well, if... Literally, the the things she could get out there, there mm-hmm. is so much potential there. A hundred percent. And, I mean, there are people all around the world who might say that and be like, I want to go to law school. I want to yeah. do that. I want to get that. My other thing that I want to call out is... One complaint I have about Legally Blonde is, you know, the scene where the Harvard, like, entrance committee or whatever they are, are, like, looking through the things. Yeah. 
And I, they like kind of like have to be wishy-washy. Like, oh, I guess we'll let her in as a diversity hire. First off, um, I don't remember. I think it was the LSAT is the lawyer law school exam. She got like one point below perfect. Like regardless of anything else, her score on that exam would have gotten her in. Yeah. And also she was a business major. Like it was like fashion, um, like business or fashion advertising, something like that. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, do you think that Vogue doesn't have legal counsel? Do you think that, like, Giorgio Armani does not employ an entire department of lawyers? Like, come on, y'all. Like, that, it's Uh, not that ridiculous. Love that movie, though. But, um, back to real life. So, anyways, the attorneys are, there's delays happening. First off, switching up all your attorneys. Jessica Lopez's attorney needed ask for more time to like review thousands of pages of documents and there were other pre-trial motions that slowed the case uh so on december 12th of 2014 most likely in an attempt to kind of speed things along the district's attorney's office announced that they would not be seeking the death penalty in this case so finally on june 6th of 2015 three little over three years after uh britney's murder yeah the judge denied a motion by one of the defense attorneys to exclude Jessica Lopez's writings in her suicide note slash confession. Why did they want to exclude that? So the writings described in detail Brittany's torture, murder, and dismemberment. And the attorney characterized the writings as a product of her fantasies. Yeah, I was about to say very fantasical. And also argued that the material was so gruesome that it would unduly prejudice a jury. And the judge said, sorry, no, I'm allowing the writings and evidence with some restrictions on some of the most disturbing parts. Which Which I'm like, yeah. Who is to say what is fantasy writing and what is the gruesome truth? Mm Mm-hmm. And and I, so I 100% agree with this judge to put it in and that's... The job of the defense to show why it's fantasy. But the jury should get to see that. So the judge said about it that, um, about the suicide note and confession, that it is a document that very much has relevance. I'm like, yeah, it's a confession. It's a confession. Generally, those are pretty relevant (laughs) in murder trials. So in earlier court statements, uh, one of the prosecutors compared the defendants to the Manson family. And defense attorneys objected to this and asked the judge to forbid such comparisons in the future. And the judge did grant that request. Yeah. Because that... No, that's too... That's... That no. puts, an, a, like, an image in the juror's head. And, like... And that's Yeah, not it's fair. a trial. But they should have the benefit of they could be guilty or innocent. So and being like... the trial's Manson family sex party dungeon people. It's like, okay, well, even if the evidence, you know, points away from them, if you have it in your mind that they're based on the Manson family, you're going to look for any way to be like, well, but they did it. Yep. So totally get it. On August 14th of 2015, the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office released Brittany's autopsy report. The document confirmed that she'd been strangled and attempts had been made to dismember her body. Brittany had initially been identified by a small tattoo on her left wrist, and according to notes made by the deputy medical examiner, 
On the left side of the victim's neck and face were two small paired brown marks that suggested the use of an electrical weapon, like a stun gun. Oh my god. Like the one that was found in Perez's truck. And the victim's left knee had a large but bloodless incised wound, which suggested that they attempted to dismember her post-mortem. In November of 2015, all three defendants were convicted of murder and kidnapping, and the judge sentenced all three of them to life without the possibility of parole for the murder of Brittany Kilgore. I'm glad they got life, and Mm -hmm. that all three of them were given the same sentence and and seen as all being involved. Yeah. You know, there wasn't the the tear effect of like, well, this person did this, this person did this. So so this one's, you know, first degree, second degree. That one's kind of manslaughter. This one's just like aiding and betting. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like all of the different things. Well, I think there's... it's fair they all got the same. Level. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of things in this case that the only people that are going to know are Perez Maraglino and uh luis perez yeah like the three of them and Brittany, who is dead so in my mind what i imagine went down which makes it just so more much more fucked up in my head is that you know she's getting a divorce yeah she's lonely she wants to go out and you know be 22 and go on dates and have fun and so luis goes out with her jessica and dorothy Already talked about how, you know, she's this disease, she's herpes, and they do not like her. And so they get her into the sex dungeon and murder her. Yeah. Because, what, jealousy? Jealousy. Because they're assholes? Because they're trash people? Like, so, I don't know, in my mind, she very much was lured on this date. She just wanted to have a good time and go out and because she thought these people were her friends, I know she was murdered and tried to be cut up and thrown in the bushes like she was trash, not a person. How many times during when this was happening do you think she was blaming herself with like, shit, I should have trusted my gut. I said no at the beginning yeah. and I changed my mind. Like that crosses my mind instead of blaming the people that this is, that are doing mm-hmm. this to you of taking self-blame and being like oh my gosh i put myself in this situation and it's like no honey well, you didn't well and i mean as a society we do that to women everyone says you know she shouldn't have been drinking so much or she shouldn't have and all it does is saying you shouldn't have done x so that they would have picked someone else not Getting at the core of it of how about how about people don't like rape and murder people? Yeah. It's how do you make sure that happens to someone else? And that's fucked up. It is. Because it's it shouldn't be happening to totally anyone. Totally fucked up. It shouldn't happen because to anyone. Because there's always gonna be someone drunker, someone walking somewhere where it's darker, someone whose skirt is shorter. There's always gonna be someone who is more X, and that person deserves the protection and respect as much as anyone else does agreed wow that was really intense it was i'm gonna continue drinking wine while you tell me about your case your fetish murder before i get into mine i'm opening bottle two yes yes Mm, get it get that one seriously this is probably one of my favorites we've done 
Yes. I this wine's amazing. want you can find it in Dallas. I'm gonna dive in and do research, see if I can find it in Austin. If not, then the next time I'm up in Dallas or you're back down here, you're bringing me some bottles. Absolutely. For me to drink and share with friends. Because Absolutely. Courtney, this wine's amazing. And I just I just love that idea of like always having wine on hand. I know. Because it's genius. I have three bottles of wine that is celebration wine because they're like hundred dollar bottles. Yeah. And so they're not for sharing. They're for me drinking by myself. Absolutely. Which I feel like you should also have. I think special wine is good. And I very much am going to sound like a hypocrite because I'm like, I'm saving those. But I think it is so important to do nice stuff and treat yourself just because. It very much is. Fucking wear that expensive ass perfume when you're going to the store. Like, do it. Treat yourself. Well, and the thing is, when you take precious items that were expensive... And you either don't use them, like a nice purse, mm-hmm. then why'd you buy it? But when it comes to things like, this was more where I was going, but I was thinking of that as well. When it comes to like perfumes or wines, it goes you have bad. To, it goes bad. Yeah. And the last thing you want is to have something so important to you, then be something like a perfume where you have some, but you can't use it because it went bad. Because yeah. you were just like, oh, I can only wear this for special occasions. No, wear it every fucking day. I know. And that's that's something that... Um, our mom taught us. Absolutely. I remember the story of she had a nice bottle of perfume that she only wore for special occasions and it, and it turned and she had to pour it out. And I'm like, treat yourself because it's yeah. so important. Uh, me and a couple friends went out for a really nice steak dinner. I've never done anything like this before. Yeah. It's really expensive. But we went out we were like, we want to go have a fancy something. We didn't have a reason for it. I mean, we were celebrating being friends, doing our thing. Yeah. And it was wonderful. Well, and guys, the thing is, you can always get more money. So Mm -hmm. have that experience. Yeah. I mean, obviously, be responsible. Pay your bills. Yeah. Like, do that stuff first. But with your extra money, have fun with it. We only get one life, guys. It's true. That's my philosophy. You know. And not not to say that, like, treating yourself has to be expensive. But you shouldn't forego experiences and things you enjoy just because it doesn't feel like there's an occasion because you're alive you're breathing you're doing your thing you have friends what other occasion you need you're doing you that's a special occasion in and of itself right there totally agree but with that note let's launch into yours um so okay uh mine's pretty messed up Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be one i think a lot of you guys have probably heard of so, my fetish killer is Jerry Brudos. Mm, God damn it. <laughs> He's also known as the Lust Killer or the Shoe Fetish Slayer. Yeah, there we go. The sources I used, ThoughtCo, Biography, All That's Interesting, Murderpedia, and Wikipedia. So, this guy, Jerome Henry Brudos, was born on January 31st, 1939 in South Dakota. His family moved around a few times when he was growing up, and he ended up spending some time in Oregon, California, and South Dakota. He was the youngest of two boys, and he had a very strained relationship with his overbearing mother. When he was young, I believe five years old, he discovered a pair of high heel shoes in a junkyard, 
And this Martian... Don't wear shoes you find in a junkyard. <laughs> um, there are, regardless of how nice the junkyard is, there are, 100% of the time, there are needles in those shoes. There are used needles in them. Don't do it. Use needles in shoes? I don't That's know. That's a disposal thing? Oh, just I don't know. But needles just, in junkyards. Yeah. The, you are going to put those shoes on and get pricked. Yeah. So this, like, really began his fascination with women's footwear. And... There are some sources that say he found one shoe, some that say he found a pair, but he was fascinated by it. And he brings it home as like a trophy. I mean, I get it. Nice pair of heels. Boom. I don't fit heels because I am a woman size 15. So (laughs) they don't make those except in drag queen stores. And I don't need to. I don't want to own any. I'm, what am I going to do with them? But I, mean, if I you get don't want to wear them because then you, don't, you don't. You know, regardless of who you are, you put on like a six inch heel and you walk around and you're like, damn, I could take over the world. Also, and my then ass you looks roll great. your ankle and <laughs> fall. And this is why I don't wear heels. But Jerry really liked them. And his mom caught him wearing the shoes. And she took it away and destroyed them. Like, she was like, absolutely not. Unacceptable. His obsession had already started. So when he was a child, he attempted to steal shoes from his teachers and from his mom. That's weird. He wanted to satisfy this fetish he had. And his mom already had one boy, his older brother. And she had really been hoping for a girl when Jerry was born. And she felt like she got stuck with Jerry. And she very much continued to express her displeasure to him his entire life. And in order to, like, deal with the fact that his mom openly hated him, he turned all his anger inward and it manifested into a hatred not only of his mom, but of all women. God. So he has this very peculiar, he, he hates women, he hates his mom, but he has this absolute fascination and fetish with women's footwear and wearing high heels and drag dressing like and this is just you can only imagine the yeah, type of the, just the going duality on of it absolutely of, i hate this and yet i so much want to be a part of it and feel connected yeah yeah so this fetish started to grow of women's shoes and he later started stealing underwear from his neighbors. Like, he would break into their homes, steal women's underwear. Apparently, that's a thing. Like... What? People, like, Like, teenagers that? and shit? Apparently, it's like panty raids and shit. What the fuck? I know. Super fucked up, one. Second off, gross. Ew, that's underwear. That's been in your asshole. Like... <laughs> that's gross. Like, literally, the one piece of clothing that is in the places that you... It's very personal and, like, why would you want to touch someone else's? Like, either you are dealing with, like, your asshole was in that. That's filled with ass sweat and ball sweat or vagina sweat. Or it's clean and it's like, okay, woo, smells like detergent. Like, what? Go to Target. Or stains. Like, ew, ew. (laughs) Like, just go to Target and buy, you know, if you really want some women's underwear. Go buy some. Go get some. Don't steal them. Or if you're a young gay boy, just go to the men's underwear section. Because it's it's where we all have the realization. It's a thing. But I get it. I've seen the men on the fronts of the packages. Because mm-hmm. also as a young girl, I'd be like, wow, look at his abs and his penis. Fair. 
It's all airbrushed away, though. Mm. You still see the bulge. I mean, it's true. You don't see the outline. You see the bulge. Which we all know, like, nowadays, a lot of times it's a sock. But, hey, advertising. Mm-hmm. So, Brutus's fetish, like I said, it started to grow even more. He was stealing underwear. And as he started to get older, he developed this really dark fantasy life. Which involved violence against women, and he started to act out on these disturbing thoughts. Mm. When he was 17 years old, he threatened a teenage girl by holding her at knife point in a hole that he had dug on the side of a hill for the purpose of keeping sex slaves. I'm very much getting, like, Buffalo Bill vibes. Yeah, yeah. What's the lotion Wait, I wonder if, if, um... It puts I... the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again or something. Yeah. I wonder if he was inspired by this because between the cross-dressing, the sex hole, I those are two connections. I would not be surprised. No. I would not be surprised if Brutus was an inspiration. <laughs> Do for... you want to fuck me? I'd fuck me. Isn't that what he says? <laughs> yeah, or, okay. I think so. <laughs> you know, I just saw Silence of the Lambs within the last year for the first time. That movie's really, really good. I want to watch the whole, like, series of them now, but they're not available for streaming. And I'm like, oh. do I have to buy these movies? Like, because I might. Ew. I might literally buy the Purchasing them. movies? What's that like? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't done it in a really long time. Um, but it was so good. Yeah. It is still, to this day, I think, one of the highlights of Jodie Foster's career. Like, it... Absolutely. She's incredible. It's good, like... I mean, Anthony Hopkins, as a fucking cannibal... I mean, yeah. Amazing. Like, he just took that creepy Hannibal Mm. Lecter and made that character... Oh, and I love that there's... So terrifying. It's a movie that is... It has so many layers. It's not just focused on Jodie Foster trying to catch Buffalo Bill, or Jodie Foster trying to catch... Hannibal Lecter. Like, there's just so many moving parts to it. Yes. And there's so many plot lines that are happening at the same time. Yes. And it's just engaging all the way. Oh, love it. If you haven't oh. seen it, listeners, definitely find it. It's... Mm-hmm. And Brooke Smith is also in it. Yes, um, and she played um, Erica Hahn on Grey's Anatomy. She did. Which was how I knew her, again, because I saw this movie yeah. later in life. So, Brutos throws this girl in the hole... And he forced her to take off her clothes, took photos of her naked, and threatened to beat her if she didn't comply with his sexual demands. After this, he was caught. And for nine months, he lived at the Oregon State Hospital, where he underwent a very in-depth psychiatric evaluation. But he was still able to attend school during the day. So he would go to school during the day. He was a teenager during this. Yeah, he was 17 years old. Jesus. He, you know, this evaluation diagnosed him with schizophrenia and determined that his rage was directed primarily against his mom. I feel like back then everyone was diagnosed with schizophrenia. You, like, sneeze and they're like, (gasps) schizophrenic. Well, and yeah, and this was the 50s. And I do think they were a lot more lax with some of these diagnoses in this time. It's like, a woman wants a divorce? She's a schizophrenic. And I'm like, hmm. It's a lack of understanding. They were still getting to know the human brain. And, I mean, shit, we're still trying to learn the human brain now. I mean, yeah, but... So, when he was finally released, they suggested that he got out on his own, begin his own life. So, he followed his doctor's advice, and shortly after he graduated, he became a mechanical and electrical engineer. 
moved oh, out on his own. Okay. Got his own place. But there are some reports that he did spend some time in the military um, and that he was discharged for his bizarre obsessions. When he was 22 years old, Brutus married a 17-year-old woman and moved to Portland. The two of them had two children. So despite this seemingly pleasant domestic life that the two mm. of them had, Brutus continued to explore the fetishes that had been part of his life. Mm-hmm. And he would sneak into other people's homes and take women's underwear. See, Still. there are just, there are right and wrong ways to do fetishes. Because I promise you, his fetish is like, I don't know, I guess sniffing underwear. There is someone out there who their fetish is to watch someone sniff their underwear and have someone sniff their feet or whatever. Like, find your, um, uh, I don't know. Perfect pair? Yeah. Your pee in a pod. Oftentimes, Brutus would make his bride clean the house wearing nothing but a pair of high heels. And he would take photos of her while she did this. I mean, if she's into it, sure. Mm. His, relationship, like is. his relationship with his wife began to falter after he approached her dressed in women's underwear. And she was like, okay, this is not what I'm into. This is not what I thought I signed up for. How would she even fit? Or is it just like, you're wearing a thong and you're just completely, everything's falling out into the side. <laughs> Like, it's, you know, the the, the uh, fabric string is there, but it's definitely there tucked into your to the side of it. Dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I mean, why? But again, not going to kink shame him for wanting to wear underwear. So, up to this point, she had gone along with his strange bedroom habits, including a request that she, you know, again, walk around the house nude wearing heels. When this happened, he felt very rejected by her. And that she didn't understand his need to wear these women's underwear. So he would retreat to his workshop, which was off limits to the entire family. This was in his garage. And she was never allowed in there. I just... Gigantic fucking red flag. Yes. Just saying. Like... If there's a room in the house that someone in the house is not allowed in, that is not a young child, and it's like a gun room... There's gun a, room. <laughs> but no, I'm but no, saying, I, like, 100% that, agree. I would understand why you don't want your kid in that room. Yeah. But if you or don't even want your like wife in that room. even like dad's office. Yeah. Or mom's office. Like, yeah, kids are not allowed in there, whatever. There's. Yeah, but dad or mom should be allowed in there. Yeah, that's weird. So, Jerry and his wife are, they're no longer intimate. Mm. And they they remain married despite his wife discovering pictures of nude women and this weird, like, molded breast thing among his possessions so she's just kind of like okay whatever brutus is believed to have attacked a woman in 1967 and she was 28 years old in may of that year he targeted a woman because he liked her shoes so he sees her walking likes her shoes and he follows her home Mm. he went into her house after she went to sleep strangled her to the point of unconsciousness and raped her he then left, taking some of her shoes with him, and he was not connected to this particular crime until much later. On January 26, 1968, so um, the next year, Linda Slauson, who was a young 19-year-old encyclopedia saleswoman, went to Brutus's home to try to sell some editions. He pretended to be interested in buying the set, but, I mean, obviously he had very sinister intentions. Yeah. He hits her on the back of the head and strangles her to death. His wife did not know 
But he had a treasure trove of trophies that he would take from women in the garage. And this is the room I was telling you she was not allowed in. Yeah. And, you know, he had warned her about venturing into the garage without his permission. And she clearly had no desire to even go in there because she never even tried. I would just be like, fuck you. You know what? I don't even give a shit. You could have never said this and I would have never stepped foot in there. But because you tell me no, bitch, I'm going into the garage. That's how I would be. That's going to be my fucking like puzzle studio now. So Jerry kept Linda's body for a time in the garage, dressing it in women's undergarments. And he ended up removing one of her feet so he could put a high heel shoe on it from his collection. And again, this is all postmortem. Later, I know. uh, Later, Brutus dumped the body by tying a part of a car engine to it and tossing it into a river. So later that year in November, Jan Whitney, who was 23, was driving home for Thanksgiving when her car broke down. Mm -hmm. So Brutus sees her and he pulls over and he offers to help her. This is literally like a fucking nightmare because you think it's someone helping you. Yeah. Um, Instead, he strangles her in his car, had sexual relations with her dead body, and brought her body back to his workshop, dressed it, posed it, took photographs. As with Linda's remains... He decided to keep a part of her. This time, he removed one of her breasts, and he hung her body from a hook on his ceiling in the garage. Oh my god. When he was tired of her body, dressing her up, taking the photos, he did the same thing. Tied a car part to her body, dumped her in the river. Jesus. The next year, the killing... Bitch, people float. That's why he tied the car part. You want people decompose, and then the chain or whatever... You know, it they decompose around it and then flow. Yes, I know. I know. Bitch. Mm. So the killing escalated the following year. Brutus abducted 19-year-old Oregon State University student Karen Sprinker from a parking garage in downtown Salem in March of that year. Mm-hmm. She was headed to meet her mom for lunch. Brutus later confessed to forcing her into his car at gunpoint then bringing her to his workshop where he raped her and forced her to put on various women's underwear and pose for pictures. So what made this different is she was still alive during the time that he was doing the posing and the photos. Yeah. Then he killed her by hanging her from the hook in his ceiling. Oh, fuck. That's how he killed her? Yeah. As with his other victims, he did violate her corpse, and then he removed both of her breasts and disposed of her body in the river again. Four weeks later, he struck again. This time, the victim was 22-year-old Linda Saley. He kidnapped her from a shopping center and brought her back to his home to continue this murderous spree that he had started. Mm -hmm. He also disposed of her body in the river. And a few weeks later, Saley's body was discovered in the Long Tom River. Um, Her corpse had been weighed down also by a car part. Police working the case noticed a very unusual knot on the nylon rope that was used to tie the body to the auto part, and that was something they absolutely took note of. Yeah. The following year, in May 1969, a fisherman discovered a body floating in the river as he was, you know, just looking around for fishing locations. And two days later, police found another body. So... Bitch, that's what I said. Bodies float. They are starting to find these. Both of the bodies they found were mutilated and had been tied to car parts to help them sink to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And as the police continued their research, they found Sprinker's remains a few days later, again with car part, Mm -hmm. and the same unusual knot. 
Though the river had washed away most of the evidence, the police did find a lead in one of the dead women's roommates. So during the course of their investigation, the police interviewed students at Oregon State University about all of these murders, especially one of the victims was a student. Yeah. Some of the female students reported receiving phone calls from a strange man claiming to be a Vietnam veteran that was looking for a date. One of these students actually went out with him and said that he was this heavyset man with light hair and freckles. And during their encounter, the man made some reference to a dead woman found in the river and the possibility of taking his date away and strangling her. So it's like what he's getting f- really Who fucking... talks about... How, what conversations are you having on your date where you feel like, mm, this is a natural moment for me to be like, ha ha ha, la la la. What if I took you, like, away and strangled you to death? Like, wouldn't that be silly? Like, what the fuck, dude? Um... Yeah, seriously. So obviously she was creeped out and like left. And thankfully Good. for her, yes. she did survive. So oh. because they needed to get some more information about this situation, it seemed very suspicious. Police asked her to call them if this man ever called her again and to set up another meeting with him at her dorm. Oh. So a few days later, the man, who did turn out to be Brutos, called and agreed to get together with the young woman. However, instead of finding his date, Bruto comes to the dorm and found the police waiting for him when he arrived. Yes. Like, obviously they were there. Oh, I love her. I want, like, a movie about her side of all this shit. College working, student. Working with the police? Like, how scared do you think she yeah. was? Like, but this she's is like, horrifying. This college student doing her thing. She's like, ooh, this guy, Vietnam veteran, war hero, hell yeah, I'll go on a date with him. Ooh, he's creepy as fuck. No. Then people start turning up dead in the river and missing, and it's someone from her college. And then she's like, y'all, went on a date with this creepy fuck. And the police are like, we're going to set up a sting operation. You're going to be a part of it. And she's like, you damn fucking right I am. I know. I'm going to be this bitch who catches the murderer. Call me. Hey, come to my dorm, whatever. Boom, it's the police. Caught. I know. So I love her. I do too. So the police interviewed Brutos and decided to investigate him further as a possible suspect. They did ultimately release him because they didn't have evidence against him. However, after a young woman he previously attempted to abduct identified him, the police were able to secure a search warrant for his home. Yes. So they found his hidden hideaway. Mm -hmm. And there, they found evidence that proved beyond a doubt that he was their man. Fuck, yeah, they did. They found the nylon rope, photographs of the dead women, and most horrifyingly, the trophies that he kept from them. From the last two victims, as I said, he had taken their breasts and he turned them into grotesque paperweights. So that mold his wife had found? No, that was her boob. Oh my god. During an interrogation, Brutus admitted to the four murders as well as several assaults and attempted abductions. Yeah. He was first charged with the Saley and Sprinker murders. And he tried to avoid punishment by claiming he was not guilty by reason of insanity. But the mental health experts who examined him... Determined that he was legally sane. Yeah. 
Bruno's knew what he did was wrong, and he never showed any signs of remorse for his actions. Uh, he eventually pled guilty to the murders of Saley, Sprinker, and Whitney. He was never tried, though, for Linda Slauson's murder, since no body was ever found. But for these crimes, he received three consecutive life sentences with the possibility of parole. His wife did divorce him in 1970, and she left the state with their two kids, and she changed her name and theirs. Good. Completely disassociating from 100%. Him. Absolutely. While serving his time at the Oregon State Penitentiary, Brutus tried several times to appeal his conviction, but these efforts failed. Mm-hmm. And he did end up dying of cancer on March 28th, 2006, at the Oregon State Penitentiary Infirmary. Fuck, he lived for... A long time. Uh, He did. He did. Because he was caught in the early 70s. And um, at the time of his death, he was the longest incarcerated inmate in the history of the Oregon Department of Corrections. Now, I honestly did not look to see if someone else has trumped that, but he was in prison for a really long time. Yeah. What, 50 years? Something like that. Yeah. And one thing... You know, my introduction to Jerry Brutus was actually from Mindhunter on Netflix. Mindhunter. So as a reminder, I've talked about this a lot because it's literally, I I loved this show and I'm really ready for season two, but Mindhunter is based on John Douglas's book where he essentially helps create FBI profiling. And nowadays we know how important profiling has become and, you know, there's the behavioral department and it's a whole thing well jerry rudos is one of the people that john douglas interviewed to get into the mind of a serial killer and why people do the things that they do and that was that portrayal of jerry rudos that they did in the netflix show holy shit it's what i picture when i was reading all of this and it it fits really well it's really creepy but Oh, fuck That's no. the story of Jerry Brudos and his fetish with women's high heels and the sexual desires he had. I feel like that. when I was talking about the topic and talking about like a lust murder, literally him to a T. The removing body parts, the having sex, sometimes before, sometimes after. The like, I'm like, is he like literally, one of the prime examples? Like, Case study on lust murderers, boom, it's him. I think that's why he's called the lust killer. Like, uh, literally, yeah. that is him to a T. Well, before we jump into postmortem, I want to just very quickly talk about, you know, fetish murderers. This is the first time we've done this as a topic, but it is yeah. not the first time that we have covered people like this. Ted Bundy, yeah, John say, Wayne no. Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, like... Most of the horrible fucked up, like these... Gary Widgeway? Yeah, like these mega serial killers. They're motivated by a fetish. Yes. And so it... I First off, interesting that it took till episode 53 for us to do this topic. But I also am just... It's crazy how fucked up these cases are. And I I think it's something so visceral about combining crime and sex like the the two taboos of today crime and sex and just kind of imploding them together into something that it just makes it more fucked up i think those two topics are more intertwined 
than a lot of people realize. I think the majority of murders have sexual motivations and not necessarily the, ooh, killing this person really gets me off. While, yes, that is a motivation in some crimes, I think in others, it's a it's a jealousy thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a sexual, like, thread yeah. that's within that as well. Or th- there's just... It would be interesting. Or even when it comes to hate crimes, that yeah. can also be sexually, like, threaded. And, yeah. Well, it would be interesting to see if we have even ever done an episode... Where sex wasn't where, Yeah, where sex involved. wasn't... A part of it at all because i can't think of anything the only ones i can think of that maybe it wasn't would be ones that are cold cases that you're like well yeah but we don't know why right. it very much could be i think i randomly thought of one case that i don't see sexual motivation but again we maybe don't know completely but mary bell who was very, very young. Mary Bell was the girl in, I believe, in England. She was like nine or something, and her and one of her friends killed like a two- or three-year-old boy. And it was just like more of a pure torture type thing and not sexual. However, who's to say Mm. that that wasn't involved, but she was too young to understand those were the motivations. Like, I mean, I don't really know. Well, I think in our restaurant murders episode... My case didn't involve sex, but yours did. yours did. So, yeah. yeah. No, they're very intertwined. And it it's interesting because it's not sex sex. It's not. No. I mean, it's it's literally, it's not sex. It's usually, it's rape and it's a power thing. And I think the domination and power thing is what is really in line with murder. I think there are much fewer cases that it's like sex as pleasure, as like a consenting, yay, sex, positive. it's sex as power. That involves murder. It's it's the power dynamic, and it's that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of started going to post-mortem right now, but officially let's let's jump into post-mortem. Let's jump into post-mortem. This is not easy. Because are postmortems ever? No, um, but sometimes they're more clear cut. Because my case, I feel like one of the big things about my case that just hits me is that I mean, Brittany was just this girl living her life, like wanting uh-huh. to have fun, wanting to be twenty two, wanting to do what her friends are doing and stuff. And you know, she's been through some shit. She's getting a divorce. It sucks. She's a military wife. It's hard. She just wants to go on a date. And gets murdered and, you know, they try to cut her up because of nothing. Because of jealousy that's not even real. Like, but yours... Well, I mean, Bruto's selected victims completely at random. Not necessarily to him, but, you know, being a victim because you're wearing nice shoes Mm -hmm. or because you were selling encyclopedias or... Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, as he got later into it, he was at least luring them in with the whole, like, Vietnam veteran kind of thing. But at the beginning, it was literally like, oh, I'm going to stalk this woman. I like her shoes. Yeah, she got them lubies. Let's see where this takes me. And somehow his fetish with with women's footwear led him to kill these women. Which... And there was so much sexual... And again, like, the hook in the garage. Like, yeah, that that's fucking horrifying. It's so fucking horrifying. It, I don't know. To me... One of the most horrifying things about this topic in general, and especially the cases we picked, are, yes, fetishes are taboo, but it's such a different kind of taboo. 
It's like a, ooh, I don't feel that, but okay. Like, if someone's really into women's shoes, cool. Yeah, that's that's your thing. You like to wear them. You like to, I don't know, go to Payless. Payless isn't a thing anymore, but, you know, okay. But then to take it so far to murder, murder and torture and... The same yeah. with BDSM. It's like, cool, you're into spanking, you're into the being dominated. Great. Do it. Awesome. But then when it becomes murder, it... I know. I don't know. But I would definitely say just how graphic and fucked up and just how many victims. Yeah. Um, I think this episode goes to you. Yeah. I don't know when I... It, it last went to me. I can't remember <laughs> anymore. I... I look out on my wharf, looking for the day my episode will return from sea. That day is not coming. I fear it won't. Your day is coming. Um, okay, well, I will pick my wine and you'll pick your wine. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> like, week. now when you win, you just, or when your case wins it, you just get to kind of chill. Yeah, basically. You don't have to think of the topic, which yeah. honestly is not an easy task ever it's not easy <laughs> it's not as hard as you would think though because 53 episodes in you think like oh shit we're running out i think today when we were talking we were like "Ooh, jot that down for like oh, three no. things i absolutely added multiple things to the list today and it was mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, we watch a lot of like movies and mm-hmm. tv and other podcasts and whatnot and sometimes it just like a topic yeah. idea will pop in my head i'm like oh add it to the list well and especially topics that evolve i really like like um, last episode we did Doctors Who Kill, yeah. and then originally, like when we were first a year ago making this podcast, I remember one I suggested was Angels of Death, which, you know, kind of involves doctors, not in the same way, and yeah. that evolved into Doctors Who Kill. Like, so. Absolutely. But um, make sure that if y'all enjoyed this episode, y'all go ahead and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing y'all's thoughts yes get us those five stars it gets us in the ratings higher up so that more people who are like "Ooh, i'm looking for a true crime podcast i'm gonna type in true crime podcast you know that that gets us higher in the rankings we might pop up we more people like you are gonna be like "Ooh, shit tyler doesn't know when to shut up and britney's really interesting i'm gonna listen to this Oh, God, sometimes I feel it's the other way around, actually. Mm. But also, like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we've got our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. So be sure to engage with us, talk to us, send us messages. We're um, very active on social. So Mm -hmm. if you send us something, we're going to see it and we're going to respond. So Well, and with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.